Numbers chapter 33. Numbers 33. I remember once, a long time ago now, I was teaching an Old Testament survey class, and one of the young ladies who was taking the Old Testament survey class came to me after the class. Now, part of Old Testament survey is you have to read through the Old Testament. Right? That makes sense, doesn't it? That you have to read through the Old Testament. Well, she came to me, and she had a problem with the Old Testament because she said there was a lot of blood and fighting in it, and she really didn't like, like reading about that, and could she be excused from the reading? Right? Now, I understand where she's coming from. There are a lot of stuff, that, a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that's kind of hard to get your head around. There's a, lot, there, there, there's a lot of things that God did that you look at and you're saying, hang on a minute, that's hard to take in. I, one of the things we're going to look at tonight uh, in what he's saying to the nation of Israel, that they have to take the land of Canaan and they are effectively to get rid of everybody in the land. Nobody is to be left uh, in the land. They are to move them all out. And it's kind of hard for us with our modern thinking to reconcile that with the God of love that we know. Right? Now, basically what I told the girl was, I told her, yeah, you have to read it, or you, can't, or, you, or you can't pass the class. It's impossible for you not to read it. And I said, told her this, I said, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that what you read about him in the Old Testament is not the immature version of God. What you read about God in the Old Testament is God. That's, that's who he is. When we read the New Testament, sometimes it looks like he's operating in a different way. And he is because he's operating under grace. But God is still the same. The glory of God is his grace. The fact that God can deal with you and I without wiping us out and operate on the basis of grace is his glory. That's just God not going the extra mile. That's God going a long way towards you to reach you with the gospel. But he's still the same God. And one day this age of grace is going to be over. And what we're going to see is we're going to see God step back in and deal with sin the way his nature demands that sin will be dealt with. Read the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is not science fiction. The book of Revelation is prophecy, which means every last bit of it will be fulfilled. Everything God says he is going to do uh, in the book of Revelation, he is going to do. If you read it with that in mind, you can understand, you know, this God of the book of Revelation is actually the God of the Old Testament, is the God of today. But today, he has chosen to be long-suffering so that man can get saved. He has chosen to draw back and to hold back so that men can get saved. So when we read about him in the Old Testament, what we've got to do is we've got to, well, we've got to wrap our minds around who he is. There's no point in us kind of trying to soften or whitewash or in some way you know, give God a makeover. We've got to bite the bullet and accept God for who he says he is. He didn't give us the declaration of himself in the scripture for us to dispute it and play with it and, uh, and, uh, and make it nicer. Uh, he doesn't want you making it nicer. He's, he's not in the least ashamed of anything he's done. Right now, we'll talk about that <clears throat> in a moment, right? Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll begin to read. We're going to read <clears throat> from verse uh, 51 down to the end of the chapter. Father, would you bless us? Would you help us as we look to your word tonight? Lord, we look at the nation of Israel, and Lord, we thank you for them. Thank you for your blessing and your goodness to them. Thank you, Lord, for all that you poured out upon them. But, Lord, you know, <clears throat> some of the things that you had them do just leave us aghast, Lord. Now, Lord, I pray you'd help us. Help us to see you in it. Help us to understand you better. Help us to know you and to walk with you. And, oh, Lord, that we might know how you deal with us, Lord, and that we might respond in a right way to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, Numbers 33 and verse 51. Uh, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan unto the land of Canaan, then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you, and destroy all their pictures, and destroy all their molten images, and quite pluck down all their high places. Now God's very specific here. He's not telling them just to get rid of the people. He's telling them to get rid of everything about them. 
It's really, you know, it's, it's, it's ruthless. It's a cleansing that goes very, very deep. Now, these people could run and they, and they weren't going to chase them once they got outside the land, but if they didn't leave the land, what happened was they were all going to get killed. That is the way what God was commanding. And they were not only to do that, they were to destroy all their pictures, they were to destroy all their molten images, they were to pluck down their high places, they were to get rid of every remnant of this people from the land. Just to get rid of all of it, destroy all of it. Right? Um, and you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land that dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. Now, here's what God does. He underwrites it, saying, I have given it to you. Now, why can God give it to you? It was their land. No. It's God's world. He can do what he likes with it. He can do what he likes with it. You know, we possess little bits of it for the short time we live on this planet, and we think they're ours. They're not. They're God's. And God can take it from you, or God can give it to you. It's all of him. He's in charge. He, he's responsible for it all. And ye shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families. And to the more ye shall give the more inheritance, and to the few ye shall give the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth, according to the tribes of your fathers ye shall inherit. All right, now, verse 55, God delivers a warning. Right? But if ye will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which ye let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and, ye sh and, and, and shall vex you in the land wherein ye dwell. Moreover, it shall come to pass that I shall do unto you as I thought to do unto them. Right? Now, what's God saying to them here? He's saying to them, now, if you don't do exactly what I'm telling you, then what you're going to find is, you're going to find that these people <clears throat> are going to become a problem to you. That they're going to actually vex you. That they're going to be pricks in your eyes. Can you imagine a prick in your eye? Anybody ever get a needle in your eye? It's a terrifying ordeal, isn't it? The whole, listen, the whole thought of it kind of uh, makes you, <clears throat> your skin curl, isn't it? Uh, they're going to be pricks in your eye uh, and thorns in your sides, and they're going to vex you. <clears throat> now, that's a pretty strong command from the God of heaven. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> how do we deal with this? How, how do we work with this? By the way, we're going to see it now in a moment. They didn't, and he did. <clears throat> they didn't, and what God did was God ultimately had them put out of the land. It's going to take hundreds of years, but ultimately, because they didn't actually do what God told them to do, uh, he's going to remove them from the land. They've actually been removed from the land twice. They were removed from the land <clears throat> uh, just around 600 uh, <clears throat> B.C., and they were removed from the land after the Lord Jesus died, and they're back in the land again. But they didn't do what God told them to do, and therefore God did what he said he would do, and he removed them from the land. And, but all along, we're going to see they became a vexation to them. Now, a couple of things we need to understand about God right, that, that, that are helpful to us. First of all, God does as he pleases. Look at Psalm 115, verse 3. Psalm 115 and verse 3. Psalm 115 and verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Our God is in the heavens. He has done whatsoever he pleased. Now, <clears throat> listen, isn't that a terrifying thought? If they invited you to go and live in a country and they told you before you came to the country that we have a king and the king does whatever he likes... Nobody can control him. Nobody can restrain him. He does whatever he likes. You wouldn't go, would you? <laughs> You'd say, well, no thanks. I, I don't think I'll go there. I, you know, I, I, I don't want that. Now, you live under a king who says openly that he does what he pleases. He does what he likes. Now, that thought is completely foreign to our thinking in the 21st century. That's a thought that kind of just, you know, just hang on a minute. That, that just doesn't make sense. Now, 
And here's the, here's the reason why. Because we don't accept the idea of anybody having that kind of authority over us. Right? <clears throat> Every government that we, that we envisage in our day and age, we envisage as being a government that's got checks and balances in it. God has no checks and balances. There is no higher court. There is nobody you can appeal to when you don't like what God does. There is no way of actually going against what God says. When God says it, it's true. It's, it's interesting about God <clears throat> that God reveals himself to us for our benefit. He shows us who he is. But he never explains himself. You won't find God saying, now here's why I'm doing this. I want you to understand this is for your good. I want you, I want you to know I'm doing this for your good. He doesn't do that. He reveals himself, but he doesn't explain himself. Job's the classic example. There's Job, and Job goes through all that torment, and, and, and God comes in, and you, and you want God to come in and say, sit Job down and have a cup of tea with Job and say, now Job, I need you to understand, uh, here's what I was doing, and here's why I was doing it. But that bit's absent in the book of Job. Because God never did explain himself to Job. What God did was God came in and he revealed himself to Job. And what, what Job needed was he actually needed to see God. Now, why does God not explain himself? Because he doesn't have to explain himself ever. He's God. See, that goes with the name. You can do what you like if you're God, and you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to ask anybody's permission ever. You can do what you like, because you're God. That, that's an uncomfortable thought, isn't it? You know, if we think about that, hang on a minute now. Um, not sure I like that. I mean, let me, let me search through the Bible tonight after pastor's done preaching, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and overturn that thought. You won't overturn it. He's God. Now, there are some things built into it that he built into the situation. But nobody made him. He does what he pleases. That, that's a crucial thought for us to bite the bullet on, by the way. <clears throat> this God we serve does what he pleases. We're going to read a book about hell. Uh, it's called The Erasing of Hell by a man called Francis Chan, right? <clears throat> uh, and he says, let God be God is the title of this paragraph. But this book is actually much more than a book on hell. It's a book about embracing a God who isn't always easy to understand and whose ways are far beyond us. A God whose thoughts are much higher than our thoughts. A God who is, as the sovereign creator and sustainer of all things, has every right to do, as the psalmist says, whatever he pleases. Uh, if I've learned one thing from studying hell, it's this last line. And whether or not you end up agreeing with everything I say about hell, he's talking about his book, you must agree with Psalm 115, verse 3, because at the end of the day, our feelings and wants and heartaches and desires are not ultimate. Only God is ultimate. Only God is ultimate. Only God is the ultimate important. Only God is ultimate. God tells us plainly that his ways and thoughts are infinitely higher than ours. Expect then that scripture will say things that don't agree with your natural way of thinking. You have to expect that. If you're going to take your natural way of thinking and take scripture and use your natural way of thinking as the grid through which you understand scripture, you're going to end up falling foul of scripture. Because you're going to find that your thinking has to come in line with Scripture over and over again. You can't come to the place uh, where you make God explain himself in terms that you can understand terms uh, that you're happy with. He won't. He's God. Now let me throw in a couple of thoughts for you there. Right? First of all, God loves us. He tells us that. Now, I'm happy that he loves us. That changes the picture. He is not a maniac that's in control of my life and doesn't care and is doing what he likes. No, no. He's a loving Heavenly Father. Right? He can do what he likes, but he's a loving Heavenly Father. I'm, I'm okay with that. The fact that he loves me makes me okay with that. Second thought is this, that he knows what's best. Now, as much as I'd like you to think I'm very wise and I know everything, I don't know everything. I don't even know the things I don't know. 
I, you know, I know, I know this much. I understand anything I know comes from Him and comes from His Word. I, and, and you're the same. Some days you wake up and you think you, you know, you're on top of your game and you know the world, you understand the world, you understand how life work and so, works and so on. And then life has this ability to throw a curveball at you that you weren't expecting and you realize, I don't know. In fact, ever since I hit my 20s, I felt I know less and less and less. In my 20s, I think, before I, before I hit 20, in my teen years, right, I think I knew as much as I'm ever going to know. At least I thought I did, right? I thought I knew it all then. But ever since then, I've begun to understand more and more, you know what, there's so much more to know. I don't know, you don't know everything. But he does. He knows everything. Do you realize we never inform God of anything? You come to God in prayer and you tell God, oh, you know, I got this problem, I got that problem, and God's, I know. And I got this, and this is going to happen, and you know, and I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. I do. <clears throat> and you know, Lord, I, I, I really need wisdom. I have it. And he's not being arrogant, and he's not being proud. He's just being real. He knows. He knows every problem you have. He knows every problem you're ever going to have. And he knows the solution to the problems that you have. And he knows the solutions to the problem that the church has. And he knows the solutions to the problem that the world has. He knows all of it. He's got it all worked out. He knows all of it. He understands all of it. So when God does something, although he's doing what he pleases, he has said, I love you. And he has tells us, and I know best. I know what you need. You don't know what you need. You just think you know what you need. You don't know what you need. <clears throat> the third thing is, he has the power to actually bring it about. He has the power to do it. There's, there's nothing that can stand in God's way. That's, that's another thought that really is hard for us to take. You know, You've never had a day in your life when you really had the power to do whatever you wanted to do that day. You've had some good days when you were able to achieve a lot of what you wanted to achieve, but you've never had the power to do whatever you want to do. God's never had a day when he didn't. God's never faced a day and he's never faced a problem that he looked at and he said, what am I going to do with this? He has absolute power. He, can, he has the ability to do whatever it takes to change the situation. When you're asking God to do things in your life, <clears throat> understand a couple of things. First of all, he can do anything. Right? <clears throat> and understand this, too, that your understanding of the situation may not be all that you think it is. That, in other words, when you ask God, be humble, and say, now, Lord, if there's a better way, I'd sooner have that. Because you think you know, but you don't know, but he does know, and he has the power to do it. Because sometimes we see God doing things that, you know, were not the best thing for people, but they, 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 they pushed and they pushed and they pushed, and finally he said, okay, all right, you're going to push. Here it is, have it. And then people are, you know, that's not the best thing for me. Be humble. Always be in the place where you're willing to say to God, now, okay, Lord, if you've got a better way about this, Lord, that's the way I want. I don't want my way. And when you find in your life that, that it's not going exactly as you planned, that does not mean that God's forgotten you. That means that God has stepped into the situation, but he's working in a different way than you think. All right, now back to our, our nation of Israel. Here we have our nation of Israel, and... <clears throat> They have been given a demonstration of the power of God that is unparalleled in history. You know, this, this generation, you know, the youngest of them would remember. Um, they, they, they would remember coming out of Egypt. They, they, they would remember all of those things uh, that had happened. They, had, they have seen the power of God in the Red Sea. They have seen God do great and mighty things. And God is coming and God is saying to them, Now, I want you to do something. Right? <clears throat> Moses, get the people of Israel together. Now, I want you to tell them this. They are to get rid of every person in the land. They are to get rid of their pictures. They are to get rid of their idols. They are to get rid of everything of spiritual impact. And if you don't, it's going to be trouble for you. And if you don't, ultimately, 
I'm going to do to you what I'm doing to them now. Now, they should have taken note of that. Shouldn't they? They should have said, okay, Lord, that's what you want. Okay, listen, you've done great things. We've seen your mighty power. Uh, this land you're giving us is going to be given of, of you. Lord, we're going to do exactly what you said for us to do. We're going to, we're going to go all the way uh, with this thing. They, they, they've already had problems in this area. You know, they came out of Egypt. What did they come out of Egypt? They came out of Egypt um, half-baked between the God of Abraham, their fathers, and the gods of Egypt. They really weren't sure who was God. You know, when the first chance they got, they made themselves a molten calf. Where'd they get at that idea? Where did they decide it was a good idea to worship calf? Well, you know what? They did that in Egypt. Worked for them. Let's try it. You know, listen, that cost them dearly. Thousands of people died because of that. You know, we, we read last week about <clears throat> Balaam and the Midianites, and they got involved in the, in the false worship of the Midianites, and again, uh, 24,000 people die because of what they did. They, they, got, they got history here. Now they, they they got history. They, they 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 have a flaw in their makeup. They tend to go with idolatry. They tend to go the wrong direction, and it costs them. So you know, taking their history into account and taking <clears throat> what God is saying to them into into their account, you would think they would say, "Okay, yeah, we got that, Lord. Everybody's got to go. Okay, everybody's got to go. No pictures, no images, no idols. They all got to go. Okay, we got that. We got that down, Lord." When we go through this land, we're going to do it. Now, now understand this. God did not send them out to do it and come and report back when you're done. No. God went into the battle with them. Remember Joshua before, the day before they go into the land, the day be- <clears throat> uh, Joshua uh, is there and he meets the Lord of hosts. He meets the Lord Jesus. You know, and he effectively tells him, it's not your fight at all, it's my fight. I'm the Lord of hosts, I'm going into battle. And, and, and really, what Israel's job was to actually go through the motions of walking through the land, and God was going to give them everything. So they hadn't been asked to do something that was impossible. They were asked really effectively to agree to something, and then God would do it. They were asked to say yes to God, and then God would do it. God would do it. God would work it out in their lives. And they've seen enough to know that he could do it, that this was the kind of God he was, that he was able to do this thing. But <clears throat> that's not what they do. Now, I suppose of all the failures uh, in history, Israel's failure has to stand out as one of the, the, the most tragic. I mean, you've got the God of heaven on their side. Destroying Egypt, opening the Red Sea, defeating armies for them, giving them a new land, telling them, I've given it to you. It's your land. You they could go and knock on Mr. Canaanite's door, and Mr. Canaanite would say, what are, you, well, what are you doing here? And they could say to him, this is my land, can you get off it? And Mr. Canaanite would say, no, it's not, it's my land. Yes, it is, God gave it to me. That doesn't sit very well with us, but that's exactly what happened. God gave it to them. And by the way, sometimes the Canaanites did go. On that basis, they just fled before them because they neither couldn't stand against them. Right? <clears throat> and um, he's, God, had, God had given it to them. It was their land. All they had to do was take it the way God had said. And what they would have known was blessing upon blessing upon blessing. God intended Israel to be the most blessed nation on the, on the planet. He intended, his plan was, not, not for a nation who would go through hardship and drudgery. His plan was for them to obey him, and he would bless them, and the rest of the world was supposed to look and see what was going on in Israel and say, what gives there? How, how, how come these people are doing so well? How come these people have so much? How come everything this nation does just um, seems to work out? That was the plan. The plan was to, to, to create a nation that would draw the rest of the world to God. God's always been interested in all peoples. But the plan was, and you know, we, we see that under Solomon, a little bit of it at least under Solomon. You know, We've got the Queen of Sheba going down there to see, what gives with this guy? She's coming down to see, see, understand his wisdom and see how he does things because of how wonderful he is. But that was the plan. The plan from the start was to develop a nation, to grow a nation through Abraham, to bring them into the land, to give them the land, and to make them the mightiest, most blessed nation in the world, and to draw all the nations of the world to himself through Israel. It's a great plan. It's the kind of plan only God 
can dream of and then execute. It's a great plan, right? There's one small fly in the ointment, though. The people involved in it. Now, turn with me to Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1. <clears throat> Just Judges chapter 1 and verse 2. I'm going to just clip a couple of places for you because otherwise we'll be here all night. Okay? Judges chapter 1 and verse 2. And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. And Judah said unto Simeon his brother, Come up with me into my lot that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with thee unto thy lot. So Simeon went with him. Now, you know what? From the word go, there's a lack of faith. God said, Judah, you go up. I have given it to you. And what does Judah say? Judah says, well, yeah, okay, fine, right and fine, but I'll tell you what, Simeon, you come with me. There's a lack of faith there, right? Um, Then in in verse 6, but Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. Now, that's not what God told him to do, that's what the world did. So what you've got is, now these are small things. But they are recorded for us, right? These are small things, but what you've got is you've got a people who don't do well following what they're told. Do you know anybody like that? You know anybody who has a hard time doing what they're told? You know anybody who has a hard time following the rules that they're given? I do. I know some people like that. You know what? I know a lot of people like that. I know a lot of people who have a hard time doing exactly what they're told. Uh, we are the most blessed people of all. We have so much more than, than Abraham or, or Joshua or David or Solomon had. We understand so much more about God's plan and what God is doing. We have so much more revelation. Uh, you know, uh, do, you, do, you, do you realize uh, that, that the first five books of the Bible were all that, the, that, 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 that Israel had for, 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 for most of their history? You've got the Old Testament, the full Old Testament, and you've got the New Testament. You are blessed. Now, here's the thing. We have the same problem in us. We have a problem doing what we're told. You know, and if you'd asked Judy, he said, what's the problem? I am going up. I am doing what I'm told. And he was. But he wasn't, just wasn't doing what he was told, how he was told. All right? Okay. Um, verse 19. And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, because they had chariots of iron. Oh, God didn't think of that, did he? God didn't think, oh no, the inhabitants of the valley are going to have chariots of iron. Oh man, I, I, I goofed. Bad plan. No. You know why they couldn't drive them out? Not because of the chariots of iron. Because they didn't have faith. If they'd gone up against the chariots of iron, the wheels would have fallen off. I'm not saying exactly, but that's what would have happened. But they looked at the chariots of iron and said, you know what, I don't think we can fight with chariots of iron. That's a level of, that's a level of, you know, of combat that we're not trained in, that we're not equipped for. I don't think we can go, you know what, we can't do that. So, and so they didn't drive out all the inhabitants of the valleys. They said, leave them there. Now you see, see what's happening here already? Here we are, uh, they're, they're, they're taking the land, but they're not doing what they were told. Right? You know, they have a problem with faith here and they don't do it. They don't actually take the land, right? Um, look at verse 21. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabit Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day. Right? That's the, uh, the end of the writing of the book. Do you know when David came to be king... You know what David had to do? David had to take the Jebusites. <clears throat> David had to actually go into battle and take them. They're still hanging around. Till then. This, this, listen, you know, 
Israel is looking at the situation and they're saying, well, you know, it's no big deal. There's a few championships around. We don't want that mountain anyway. You know, they can keep it. They can have it. I mean, <clears throat> as long as they stay up on the mountain and they leave us alone, we're fine. And those guys in the valley with their iron chariots, too much bother. We've got more than we need here anyway. Right? <clears throat> you know, and what they're doing is they're looking at the situation through eyes of flesh and they're not reckoning on the fact that they haven't done what God told them to do. Okay, let's go on. <clears throat> Verse 27, Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and her towns, nor Tanak and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Iblium and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Now that's interesting, isn't it? You know, here's the thing. What they decided was, you know what, they are useful to us. We'll make them pay taxes. Yeah, that, that's great. We got some extra money coming in. You know, that helps us. We're in a better place. And humanly speaking, made perfect sense. But what did God say? God said, drive them out completely. If you don't, there will be thorns in your side, and ultimately I will drive you out. <clears throat> but they didn't do it. They had a better plan. Now, here's a couple of reasons we're coming up against already. One, because they had a lack of faith. They didn't drive them on out. Secondly, because it was useful to them to have them in the land they didn't drive them out. Drive them out. And thirdly, I think, the reason they didn't drive them out was because it was just too much work. It was just too much work. And they were fed up fighting and they were fed up traveling around the desert and they wanted to just settle down and raise their families and, and be happy. They wanted to just relax. Right? <clears throat> and for those three reasons, I think they didn't. We can go on. Ephraim didn't drive them out. Zebulun didn't drive them out. They didn't Asher drive them out. Neither did Naphtali drive them out. Now, come to chapter 2 with me here. Right? <clears throat> uh, verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt, and I have brought you into the land which I swear unto your fathers. Uh, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land, but ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? I, wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. Now why did they weep? Because they knew they were wrong. They knew they had done wrong. But what's happening here is the angel is pronouncing judgment on them. Wherefore, I will not now drive them out before you. They're going to stay. And they're going to be thorns in your side. Um, <clears throat> verse 7, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders of the Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord and they, uh, that he did for Israel. Right? <clears throat> um, and we could go on. What we're going to what we're going to find is that we're going to go, go into the d days of the judges, and Israel are going to have thorns in their side. They're going to have the people of the land take over, and then they're going to be they're going to be snared uh, with it, and they're going to have to pray unto the Lord, and the Lord's going to send them a deliverer. And that's what judges are. Judges are this cycle, you know, where they sin. Uh, they get chastised by the people of the land or the Philistines coming in to take them over. They cry out to God and God sends a judge. They have peace for a while and then they sin again. And what they've done now is instead of being a nation that was high and lifted up, a nation that everybody would look to and see what a great nation they were and how it really made sense to follow God, what, happened for, what happens for them is they, they, they become the offscouring of the earth because they didn't obey. Right now, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now, there's a whole bunch of places that we could go <clears throat> in the New Testament uh, and take this issue and deal with it. <clears throat> but we're just going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 because it's kind of fairly straightforward for us uh, to look at. Um, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 uh, Verse 22 talks about putting off the former conversation of the old man and putting on the new man. Verse 25 says this, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, let me say this to you. You know, we've got in the New Testament straightforward things that we're to obey. 
Now, we're not told to obey them in our own power, just the same way as Israel was told, uh, was not to obey them in their own power. We're told if we will obey them, God will enable us and we will have victory in our lives. We will have victory. We, we will see victory in our lives. And when you see something in the New Testament and you come to it and it's, it's for you and you take it on board and you say, yes, Lord, you enjoy victory. You enjoy victory. But when you don't, do you know what you do? You do what Israel did. And what happens is you end up leaving the enemy in your life. And what happens when the enemy's in your life? He becomes a thorn to you. A vexation to you. He stands between you and God and ruins the picture God has for you. You see, God intended for your life to actually be turned around and for you to go in a different direction and for you to be different. And what he wants is, he wants when you get saved for you to become ruthless about sin. Israel was to be ruthless with the people of the land. They were to show no quarter. Some little woman came, comes with her kids and says, Listen, can I stay? No. Go. That, that was the plan. Now, God was right. He, he, they had no faith. It was useful to them. And they got lazy about it. And they didn't do it. But God was right. We can look back in history and see them getting kicked out of the land. We can look back and see it because they didn't do right. Now, here's the thing with your life. And we all need to understand this and buy into this. You know, when you got saved, God gave you a book. And he gave you a book that's his wisdom for living. Every bit of it is useful. All scripture. All scripture is good for you. Every bit of it is interesting. Every bit of it is helpful. Every bit of it is instructional and helps you in what you should do, what you shouldn't do, how to get it right. Uh, you know, God, God shows you what to do. And he says, now, child of mine, I want you to take it on board and I want you to do it. Now, he doesn't ask you to do all of it the first day. He didn't ask Israel to take all of the nation on the first day. They were to take it incrementally. But they were to take it completely. They were not to tell any quarter. They were not to leave anybody in the land. They were to move everybody out of the land. And what God wants you to do is God wants you to take on board this truth and he wants you to drive sin out of your life completely. Now what do we do with sin? Well, you know what? <clears throat> Sometimes we don't have faith to get rid of sin. We think it's down to us. We think we can't get rid of this. We have, you know, there's no way we can get rid of this. We're stuck with this. This is the way we've always been. And we don't have faith enough to get sin, to get rid of sin. Sometimes we hold on to sin in our lives because it suits us. We kind of enjoy it. Yeah, you know what? <clears throat> there are some sins in my life that really are a problem to me, but there are some sins that make me feel quite good. And they don't do me much damage in my life. I think I'm going to hold on to those sins. That's helpful to me. <clears throat> and then sometimes we don't get rid of sin because we're, we're lazy. It's too much work. It's too much bother. And we let things into our lives. And exactly what, happens to, what happened to Israel happens in our lives. Exactly the same thing. What happens is they become thorns, pricks in your eyes, and thorns in your side. And, 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 and you feel like you can't get rid of them. Now, that's never true, by the way. It's never true that you can't get rid of them. But you feel like you can't sometimes. God says he wants you to get rid of all of it, everything. He wants you to be ruthless. He wants you to go all the way. He wants you to clean house. He wants you to let the Spirit of God rule in your life. And whenever the Spirit of God says, let's get rid of this, you say, yes, sir. And you get rid of it. He does not want you playing with sin. He does not want you you're holding on to it and kind of saying, no, I don't know about that. If you do, you're going to be in trouble. Now, <clears throat> notice with the nation of Israel. If, if I was God and Israel did that, you know, I would send bolts of lightning down. <laughs> now, God was able to do that, wasn't he? He didn't. In this case. No bolts of lightning. No great plagues. Do what he did. He let the results of their disobedience work its way out in their lives. He just let the results of disobedience be its own judgment. 
that, that's what he did. I think that's often what God does. God tells you, I want to get rid of this, and you say no. And you, you look like this because you're waiting for God to deal with you. God doesn't deal with you. You think you got away with it. Hey, it's okay. And you haven't. What God's doing is God is saying is, okay, you don't want to get rid of it. You want to hold on to it. It's going to be a prick in your eye. It's going to be a thorn in your side. It's going to cause me to deal with you the way I dealt, <clears throat> was going to deal with, with sinners. But listen, you want to keep it? You hold on to it. You do it. And we keep something in our lives that is really bad for us. We don't feel it's bad for us, but it is really bad for us. All right, Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> I'm not going to take long. I'm going to just go to breathe through this, and I'm going to leave it with you, and we're going to actually close, okay? But here's the thought I want you to get. God wants you to ruthlessly exterminate sin in your life. And if you don't, it will be a problem to you. It will be a difficulty to you. <clears throat> All right, verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for ye are members one of another. Dramatic change happened in your life when you got saved. <clears throat> you used to be a liar. God says, stop lying. Be a truthful person now. Is that true of you? Do you speak the truth? Have you stopped lying and do you speak the truth? And you say, well, pastor, it's not as easy as that. You know, there are kind of things and problems and, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't do that completely in this world because if you do that completely in this world, you know, you, you get in a heap of trouble. No. God said do it and if you don't do it, you get in a heap of trouble. I'd much sooner be in trouble with uh, people than in trouble with God, wouldn't you? Stop lying. Speak the truth. All right. Um, verse 26. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Now, this is actually not what it looks like. Uh, it's saying, be ye angry. You're to deal with stuff. And sin not. Sinning is when you don't deal with stuff and then you get angry and you blow it. Right? <clears throat> But you're supposed to deal with stuff so it doesn't get to the place where you're getting all bent out of shape when you're getting angry and you're dealing with you're, 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 you're not dealing with stuff. Because what happens is then you give place to the devil and you end up getting bitter. Now, now let me say this to you tonight. If you're bitter for any reason, and I don't know the reasons, and I, I understand there are reasons that, <clears throat> you know, that are so hard for people to get over. I understand that. But if you're bitter for any reason tonight, it is going to destroy you. It is going to be a prick in your eye and a thorn in your side. It is going to destroy you. You say, Pastor, it's not as easy as that. I understand bitterness is a deep root. But you know what? You've got to get it dealt with. You need help, get help. But you've got to deal with bitterness. You can't carry on with bitterness. It's impossible. It will destroy you. Somebody <clears throat> uh, said that you being bitter is like pouring acid into a plastic cup. It destroys the cup. You get destroyed by the bitterness. <clears throat> you got to deal with stuff, but you got you got to come to the place where you're not getting angry and getting bent out of shape and getting bitter, right? <clears throat> um, Verse 28, Neither uh, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let me ask you, are you on the take or are you giving? Are you on the take? Are you looking around you for everything you can take for you? That's the old man. Or have you said, no, 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 no. I'm not like that anymore. I'm going to labor so I can give. I'm going to be a giver. You know, <clears throat> that's... You know, there's a key heart change that happens when you turn that corner. A key heart change. And it's not got to do with how much money you have. It's got to do with your heart. Are you taking or are you giving? Command is to put off the old way, being on the take and be a giver. Don't give yourself the excuse. Don't let the stronghold in. You know, no, I don't have to give. We all have to give. We all have something to give. Are you giving or are you taking? <clears throat> All right, number 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Right? <clears throat> and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let me ask you this. Is your tongue a weapon? Or is your tongue a means of lifting people up? 
What is it? You say, well, you know, most of the time I'm using it to lift people up, but from time to time it becomes a weapon. Isn't that what Israel did? They moved them out when it suited them, and when it didn't suit them, they just let them stay. The Bible says no corrupt communication. None. Nothing. Nada. And when the Bible uses words, it doesn't use them you know, just to fill up the space. Every word is inspired of God. God says, you're supposed to lift people up. You're supposed to build people up with your, with your words. What about with your kids? Oh, isn't it easy when the kids get you annoyed for your tongue to become a weapon? <clears throat> is your tongue a weapon or is your tongue being used to minister grace, to build up? And notice what it says in verse 30 there, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Tell how you'll know you're not walking in the Spirit. If you get angry and nothing happens inside you. If you're walking in the Spirit and you get angry and cut loose at somebody, you are going to know what happened. There's going to be a crash inside of you that you will feel. And if you don't feel that, you know what? You've got to say, what's wrong here? How come I can do things like that and not even feel bad about it? <clears throat> are you <clears throat> using corrupt communication or are you using communication that builds up? That all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. I'm not going to explain all of those things. But you know what? Wasn't that the old man? Didn't you love to sit around and have a gossip session and tear people down and destroy them? And <clears throat> Didn't you love... He says, put that all away. That, that's not to go on in your life. And be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And the new man is kind. He's tender-hearted. He's forgiving one another. Are there people that irritate you? Yep. Hand-picked by God for the job, by the way. They didn't happen by accident. They are exactly what you need in your life, and God wants them there, and they're to be a help. How do you respond to them? If I could only get rid of them, I'd be happy. No. You're supposed to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. That's the new man. Now look. Lots of passages in the New Testament that we could go and deal with sins, heavier duty sins than this maybe. But you know what? These are helpful. Where do you stand? Are, are you driving sin out of your life? Or are you making friends with sin? Oh yes, some you were ruthless about. Some you got rid of, and you got rid of it ruthlessly. But some was too hard. Chariots of iron, man, that's, that's, that's a big deal. Those are hard. Some, some of these sins are, and, and I'm just kind of let them settle into my life. Right? <clears throat> and, you know, and um, sometimes sin pays off in my life. It actually helps me. So, so I've kind of let that stay in, too. And some of it got just to be too much work. I'll get back to getting rid of it someday, but not right now. That was Israel. And they sowed the seeds of their own destruction in their disobedience. And you know what? So do you. You sow the seeds of your own destruction in your disobedience. And <clears throat> it doesn't happen, you know, that God steps out from heaven and starts firing lightning bolts at you. He just says, look, I've told you what to do. I told you what will happen if you don't do it. Now, if you're not going to do it, you're going to have to bear the consequences. So you know what makes sense for us to do? It makes sense for us to follow his word completely. Just like Caleb this morning. Holy follow the Lord. Learn to look at life from the perspective of what does God want of me? And do that. Not what works. You know, not what's easy. What does God want of me? And do that. And when you do that, you're in the place where the Spirit of God can bless and you can see great things happen in your life.
spoken of. God has spoken to you on this, and I'm sure he's spoken to many of you. Don't let it slip, because I guarantee you, if you don't respond to God immediately, by this time tomorrow, you won't even be able to remember what I preached about tonight. It'll be gone. Respond to God. Make the next step. Just the next one. People get all <clears throat> bent out of shape because they all have to do that, and I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I have to do No, no, no. There's one step in front of you that God wants you to take. Take that step. Leave the step after that for God to show you and deal with it another time. Just take the next step. And what, you ha- well, what happens is you end up taking steps that walk you out of the life you don't want and into the life you do want. Or you know what you do? You either don't take steps or you do take steps in the wrong direction and you go deeper into it. You have a free will. You can choose what you're going to do. God's not going to force you. In a very real sense, it's up to you tonight. As God deals with you, you need to say, Yes, Lord, and follow Him all the way. You say, But I might die. You won't die from following God. You will live. You will live. Even if you physically die, you will live. And it's very doubtful that any of you are going to physically die from following God tonight. But if you will follow God, you will find life. Faith trusts and does and knows blessing. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for the example you give us of the nation of Israel. And Lord, we confess that, Lord, all too often we're just like them. All too often we put it on the long finger, Lord, because it's too hard, because it doesn't suit us, because we're too lazy to deal with sin. But Lord, you're dealing with sin in the hearts of your people tonight, Lord. Lord, would you bless, would you work in those hearts, would you deal, Lord, in mighty power with each one? Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Let me ask you to raise your hands on this. God has shown you something you need to deal with tonight, and you would say, Pastor, by his grace, I am dealing with it. Just lift your hand, put your hand up. Amen. 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 See those hands. Anybody else? God has shown you something you need to deal with, and you're saying, Lord, I'm dealing with it. Anybody else? Just lift your hand. Amen. Amen. Now, Father, thank you, Lord, for those that have raised their hand. Thank you for those that are responding to you. And blessed Spirit of the living God, would you work in all our hearts, Lord? Lord, we don't want to end up in a place in our lives, Lord, uh, where we're facing, Lord, disaster because we've not dealt with the things you've shown us to deal with. Lord, help us. Help each one that's raised a hand tonight to deal effectively with it by your power. And Lord, may they know <clears throat> blessing. And Lord, for the rest of us, help us to walk with you in a clean and holy way and help us to fight each day uh, the battles you would have us to fight, Lord, because we know that as we fight, we will win. In Jesus' name, amen.